The Open Nesters is a weekly podcast focusing on couples and individuals who are looking for new beginnings after their kids have left the nest. This week on the Open Nesters podcast with Joyce Saltman. I have friends who have not had sexual relations with their partners for 30 years. And these are married people. They are monogamous people. They have not had sex. And I've also spoken to many people who say, you know, I'm just not good at it anymore. Not, not good at it. It's what the concept makes me crazy. I mean, do you stop talking because you're not good at it? Do you stop eating because you're not good at it? It seems to me that having sex is such a marvelously intimate way of communicating with each other that to not have it at all, I, I find a little depressing. But- I'm so, so excited and pleased that you were able to finally pin down Joyce Saltman to do an interview with you. Uh, you know, uh, she's a good friend, but with all her speaking engagement, all her social activities, she is really hard to pin down. And her wisdom, humor, sense of uh, life and in, in, in the love of uh, life is really inspiration to me and to so many people. Yes, it's quite a treat to have Joyce on our Open Nesters podcast, and you are definitely going to laugh and learn today. Let's hear it from Joyce Altman. Welcome to the Open Nesters Podcast, my dear friend, Joyce Saltman. This is beyond an honor that we realized, wow, Joyce can talk about so many funny things, including sex and aging and being an open nester of opening new possibilities since her kids left the nest many years ago, right? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Many years ago, because my kids are only six years younger than you are. (laughs) <laughs> well, the the I think that you how we were in the exploration stage when you got the divorce. The first, you, had, you were divorced twice, and I know that. No, I was only divorced once. Oh, I was widowed twice. Oh, you were widowed, and I never gave up, as you can see. I never give up. Well, this is why you are completely endearing to anyone who knows you, and and Joyce is on a circuit. She's world famous in Florida and Connecticut for doing all kinds of laughter, making really lightening up the world with such incredible topics. And but let's take it to the time when when you actually did get a little freer to not have your kids at home and realize that all these possibilities of opening and the and the and the philanthropy you're doing, which you which you continue to do through your speaking engagements, became so real for you and even and even more possible as you retired. So why don't you talk take me to that stage of life? When you were well, my kids were eight and well, nine and 12 when I got divorced. And recognizing, I mean, I am now 78, and it's important for your listeners to recognize that because I was not of this generation. Okay. And what I mean by that is, I grew up, my mother taught me you cannot sleep with a man unless you love him and are married to him. Right. Which means that if you were not married, you did not go to bed with somebody. And if you were married and didn't love him anymore, you didn't go to bed with him. Either. <laughs> those were the two necessary components. So I was when I got divorced from my high school sweetheart, 
both of us obviously had been virgins when we got married. And therefore, we just entered the new world. And for me, I came into this new world as a born-again virgin. I mean, I had no idea how to start from scratch, what to look for, when I could and could not kiss a person. I grew up in an era where we, I didn't never kiss a guy goodnight before the third date. That was the rule. The rule was you did not kiss a guy goodnight until the third date. And by the way, I have to tell you that I was married to a really nice guy, my high school sweetheart, which I refer to lovingly as my practice marriage. <laughs> a terrific guy. He's a college president. He's very bright. He was very loving. And the one area that was not a problem in that marriage was sex. We both learned together. And needless to say, in the seven years of dating before that, we didn't know how to pet. We knew how to kiss. I used to get a rash. He had a cleft in his chin. I used to get a rash in my chin. My mother always knew when Marty and I were necking because the cleft in his chin used to make a rash in my chin because I didn't have a cleft there. So, you know, it wasn't that we were uh, never touched each other, but we never touched each other in those ways, never slept together, et cetera, and so on. So when I entered that world, I had to get past a whole lot of, we, we would refer to it in our religion as Mishigas. I had to get rid of a lot of these things that say the most serious, permanent, and forever thing you can ever do with a person is to touch them genitally. So my first relationship was a very nice, very nice person. And we got along fine, but that obviously did not end up to be the real one. And I do want to tell you, by the way, I have been married. Um, besides, I was married to Marty, got divorced. My next husband, who was the sweetest man in the world, we were married for 24 years. And then I was married again several years later to a really nice man again for eight years until he died. He was 88 and had a stroke and some other things. And altogether which includes my first relationship after each ending of the marriage, I have slept with a total of seven men. Now, given that I'm 78 and I'm generally a pretty adventurous person, that's not a whole lot of sexual experiences. Well, you have more so, than 78-year-olds who have stayed in your generation until now, so it's, it's pretty amazing. And your open-mindedness that Joyce actually listened to our penetration, uh, buckled, strap up, buckle up and strap on. Uh, podcast because she's just amazed at how boundaries are being pushed and it's not a matter of judgment and you said to me right before we got on for you it's a matter of of possessiveness of like you wouldn't be able to be polyamorous in that way because of the way you feel about uh, your attachment to someone right yes well me that's why i don't rent a house when i'm in florida i'm a snowbird half a year in florida half a year in connecticut and i have my own house in each place it is very important to me to own something. And I can't imagine, I'm not, I don't really own Eddie, but my boyfriend of the last two and a half years, and we live together in both my houses, I refer to him lovingly as my H-E for husband equivalent, because partner always sounded to me like either business or I, it was a lesbian relationship. And if I called him my puzzle cue, your generation wouldn't know that because that came out in New York magazine years and years ago, standing for persons of opposite sex 
sharing living quarters. Oh, that's a horrible word. I thought word. that was, you know, that Masa was like, I hate it. Much. That's why it didn't make it. How about significant yeah. other? You don't like significant that's, other? It's not, you know, significant other. I, I don't know. I have a significant piece of furniture. I have, like, I have a lot of significant things. <laughs> it just seems to me, H-E, he is my husband equivalent. We go places together. We make love together. We eat together. We share, you know, whatever we need to share. To me, that's what you do with a husband. And I was lucky this time because this husband equivalent knows how to fix things, which not one of the three <laughs> preceding him knew how to fix anything at all. So this is this is terrific. And then and then you've you've so gotten on this topic, even though I know you've been doing um, laughter as an RX for survival as one of your first talks. And I don't want to go through that whole history. But one of your newer topics as you're aging is so resonant for you, which about sex and aging. So I would love you to call it. I call it Tessa. I call it a humorous look at sex and aging because I don't want people coming to that thinking that they're going to have a sex therapy lesson. What I try to do is I give a little piece of information based on research. I am a college professor. I got my doctorate at Columbia. So I have the credentials that I need to give forth information and I know how to read. So I read the information. I give a little paragraph of information and some jokes and then another paragraph of information and then some jokes. And of course I get the, the best responses are to this talk on a humorous look at sex and aging. Although my newest talk this year, which is based on a book that we're still in the middle of writing and we cannot find an agent or a publisher, which is really sad. The name of it is Sex Versus Sex versus Chocolate, and the winner is. And we give all kinds of information about sex. We give all kinds of information about chocolate. And I, have, I always gave a talk called The Chocolate for Breakfast Diet, which is just all the wonderful things about chocolate. And just for any of your listeners to know, Chocolate is really very good for you for a variety of reasons. And people are usually, especially the thin ones like you, will say, no, you know, dark chocolate is much better for you than milk chocolate. (laughs) But I do not believe anybody should put anything into their mouth that they do not like. And that goes for everything. Uh, And I do not like dark chocolate. Therefore, I eat milk chocolate. And what I want to tell you about that is dark chocolate has twice the number of flavonoids, which are very excellent things to have as milk chocolate. So my advice is if you prefer milk chocolate, eat twice as much (laughs) and you get the same exact number of flavonoids as in one piece of bad chocolate that's dark. So so before we launch into the sex, sex and aging, the humorous look at that, because I want you to talk about some of the highlights of that talk. I want to go back to this stage of when you were uh, you wrote a book also called I'm Changing the Locks and and. um, Changing the lock and, the and cementing the windows because it was about the idea of the kids leaving and there's this boomerang effect of kids coming back. And so you you were pretty firm about that they would have a year and that you would be able to have as much sex as you wanted when they left the house. That was your kind of approach to open nesting, if I remember it. So is there anything that that um, that stands out for you about how that's evolved and changed over the years and how you've noticed people that that are that that how kids and kid, in, our, in my case, kids being home is a good thing. I call that part of the open nest. And yet defining the boundaries of who we are and being able to communicate that to me is an important part of of open nesting as our kids become adults. Like this is what 
you can expect from me. These are the boundaries. These are what I'm still willing to give. Like, how how have you worked at some of your relationships that are the most, what have you learned the most along the way with your kids as they've aged, as they've well, become adults? There are a couple of parts to that question. First, I did tell my kids when they were in college that I would pay for college, graduate school, clothing, room and board, travel, anything, as long as they were in full-time school. When they were no longer in full-time school, they had one year to live at home. And after that, I didn't care if they lived under a bridge. (laughs) They were not living in the house. Now, as it turns out, my son took a summer, which felt like 10 years to me. My daughter didn't take one minute. She went straight from law school in Chicago, straight to a law firm in Manhattan and lived in Manhattan much of those years. And my stepson took his year and then I threw him out. So it was, you know, we, we had the agreement in the first place and that was good. And of course, my thinking was that once the kids were out of the house, if I wanted to, I could screw on the dining room table. All right. Now, as it happens, we never did, <laughs> but I could have. There was nobody stopping me from doing that if that right. was our strongest desire, which needless to say, it was not. What did happen, I mean, as obviously when you're dating and ultimately marrying, there are whole lots of different issues that come in. And I think that kids, I, I think with all things, really, I mean, I, you know, I went through the whole gestalt therapy program and the marriage and family therapy program to learn to be a therapist. In it, and I was already full time as a college professor, which is the job that I kept. But there is not any question but that having boundaries in whatever your life is about, you need to have boundaries. So, you know, they talk about mothers and, you know, 12-year-old sons taking showers together. To me, that is not a helpful thing. And I understand lots of people who are very free with their bodies and walk around the house naked. I would never be one of those for a variety of reasons. One, I didn't grow up in that kind of a household. And two, I look so rotten when I am naked, that I think it's great that my husband equivalent does not mind. <laughs> so that, that is the good part. And I will tell you one way to solve some of these problems, because I think as creative human beings, it's really important that we find ways to solve problems. I happen to live in a beautiful house here in Florida. They have a gorgeous vanity right next to the shower. When I come out of the shower each morning, there is a plastic bin in the vanity, you know, in the the bottom of the vanity under the sink. And in that plastic bin, which I purchased for this purpose, I have a rolled up collection of underpants and a rolled up collection of bras because I went to camp. If you go to camp as a kid, you learn how to roll up your underwear. (laughs) And I put on my bra and my underpants before I come into the bedroom. Now, you may wonder why. The reason is because this builder builds all of his houses with two sides of closets between the bathroom and the bedroom, and they are floor to ceiling mirrored doors. So you have to walk past the windows, the mirrors, all the way into the bedroom (laughs) from the bathroom. I cannot handle that. So I am by then wearing pants and a bra. Creative solutions. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. So so what are the other things that tickle people's fancy, especially that you get response from about 
the humorous look that you already are starting to get into about sex and aging. Like, what are the things that you talk about that 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 really resonate for people and and make them laugh both? Because usually the truths are the things that make right. us laugh, right? Well, one of the things that I found really helpful in doing this research is that at a certain age, and you know, keep in mind the numbers of people are increasing, and this is far nothing to do with COVID specifically at this point, but people lose their spouses. And of course, my husband equivalent will tell you the reason why men die before their wives is because they want to. <laughs> and that, that, of course, is a joke. However, <laughs> it is true that women tend to outlive their husbands. And there are a lot of reasons for that. And I'm not going to go into that just in terms of sociology, but it is true that there are many women out there without partners who really would like to have a partner. In my particular development, we have 705 homes. And I can only speak specifically about this development because while I am in development every week, I've done three talks already this week in three different developments. I don't know the people intimately, so I can't tell you about how the community functions but I can about here. In this development, if a woman starts looking a little pale, the other women who are single go home and they cook a brisket and they put it into the freezer so that when the woman who is looking pale drops off, oh. she can go oh, no. to the shiva call after the wife dies and deliver that brisket to this poor man who no longer has a partner. Now, that sounds like a joke. Three of the couples that I know met and married here after the wife who was living here in the same development within a year of her leaving this earth. They were already together. Two of them married. One was living together. So there is no question but that if people want to get together and they are females they are going to have a much harder time, especially if they're not polyamorous, because these men are not going to be able to get it up for more than one <laughs> woman in a week, let alone, you know, <laughs> let alone regularly. I do have a friend, true story, who was at my house for, for lunch last week, and his name is Sam. And when I say to him, Sam, how old are you now? He is 98 and three quarters. This is what he says to me. I am 98 and three quarters. And he said, Joyce, I have one to tell you. He said, this 80-year-old uh, guy goes to the doctor and he says to the doctor, doctor, you've got to help me. I really need help. My friend says he has sex three times a week. And the doctor says to the guy, you can say that too. <laughs> so, in fact, people can say whatever they want to say. What is the truth? We'll never know unless you're very close friends with them, right? Now, having said that, there is a whole bunch of surveys that go on how often do people from different countries uh, have sexual intercourse as, you know, as grownups. So what was most funny, and I, I did tell this to one of my groups, they were talking about, you know, some people have sex three times a month. Some people have it, you know, three times a week. Some people have it. Well, they said in Japan, people of a certain age have sex once a year. And the men in the audience have always been very surprised to discover that they are Japanese. <laughs> 
If you like this episode, you'll also love other episodes on our website. Under the Listen tab, scroll down to our Aging, Health, and Grief category. Right. That is, they, there is no, that is not a cultural thing with us. Although I have friends who have not had sexual relations with their partners for 30 years. And these are married people. They are monogamous people. They have not had sex. And I've also spoken to many people who say, you know, I'm just not good at it anymore. Not, not good at it. It's what the concept makes me crazy. I mean, do you stop talking because you're not good at it? Do you stop eating because you're not good at it? It seems to me that having sex is such a marvelously intimate way of communicating with each other that to not have it at all, I, I find a little depressing. But, you know, some of these people are a little depressing in other ways. Also, so that goes without saying. I am presently with my, with my husband's equivalent. We have a ritual that we follow every day. And so far, thank God, it has been really marvelous. Every morning, we get up, I get up at usually about 5.30, I send out, you know, I answer emails and send out a happy grammar. I do all of that stuff every morning. He gets up at eight. When he gets up at eight, he comes into the den where I am at the computer and he gives me a hug. I stand up, I give him a hug. I love this one spot on his neck. It's just the most perfectly kissable spot. And then when we're both ready, he'll say, are you ready for a shower? Both of us go into the shower we shower each other, we soap each other up. And when we're using shampoo, we both love that day the best because we have all that lather to just <laughs> put all over each other's bodies and rub each other. It's just, that's a wonderful shower that we take now. It's very, you know, it's very loving. Then when we get the towel, we shut off the water, we bring in both big bath sheets and I dry his back and he dries my back. And then we get out and we dry ourselves entirely and we go back to bed in the bedroom. At that time, we talk for 20 minutes. And I'm making a mention of that because my boyfriend is not much of a talker. He's not a great communicator. But in the morning in bed, we talk about it could be politics. It could be anything that's going on. It can be plans we're making with people, stuff that we heard that was interesting. But we really have 20 minutes in bed under the covers, totally naked. We have 20 minutes talking to each other about whatever, and then we generally make love. And that is terrific. It's really wonderful. And, you know, people say, Joyce, I mean, he's 76 already. I'm 78. It's not about age. And it doesn't always have to be, you know, we don't always have like, I shouldn't say we, I don't get erections, but <laughs> it's not always based on perfect erections, but it's always based on very loving touching and all kinds of very loving, intimate things that we are doing to each other, with each other. And it's wonderful. When we get up, we both feel terrific and we get dressed and go out and go about our day. So I, I think that people need to uh, examine what it is that they care most about in the relationship. One of the studies um, that I usually talk about in my sex and aging talk is a study that talked about how many people really want the act and 90,000 people, apparently, in 1980-some-odd, Ann Landers had written in her column, how many of you still require the act? 
And of 90,000 people responded to this from the newspaper, which blew my mind. And a very large percentage said they would rather be held and caressed and no longer require the act. And one of the things she said is that 40% of those people, and that was 70 some odd percent, answered that way. 40% of those people were under 40. So even younger people, according to that survey, the people who wrote back to Ann Landers for that column, even they were not demanding constant, you know, jump on, jump off sex. That is not really what keeps people together. What keeps people together is love and respect and to me, integrity. And the integrity of a relationship has a lot to do with that. So you know, and the intimacy, so intimacy is also called like this intimacy and into me seeing you. And that's why I love listening to you about how inspiring that is to be looking at each other and talking. And in, and as we as we start defining more conscious communication about feelings and emotions and 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 raise men up to come to where women are, we can communicate about those things in the morning. I mean, the rituals of intimacy and touch are so far beyond just what what sensuality and intimacy and touch bring to our lives and and our 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 far, they they generate these wonderful natural pharmaceutical chemicals of our oxytocin and That's and these right. are the things that are much more when when someone says i don't have sex anymore i agree with you it's not about the intercourse i mean and not just at older ages but at all ages i mean bill clinton you know told us all that years ago when he said, I did not have sex with that woman. Well, you damn well did because sex is a lot of different layers and our sexuality can be just seen by the way we can have energy orgasms, which you probably haven't had, but I have had as having studied Tantra. So just, it doesn't have, it doesn't even have to only have the touch when we can develop the nuance of love and intimacy so there's so much to that. And then and then all these silly and funny puns. I mean, about I, and I do wonder with your research if I'm sex I mean sex is known to be healthy for us anyway. I don't right. I don't have the exact statistics on that. And we look seven years younger when you're having regular sex seven years longer. And I'm and I'm looking at Joy. She has she is the most unlined face. I can't even tell you at 78. Like I, you know, it's a, it's really an inspiration to know that that and you've always reinvented yourself and it's always been inspiring for me to watch. So that's what I feel like having you on f- as an example is so wonderful to because you continue to as you said research and learn. You're always learning. And would you say that that's a big part of why your brain continues to be as sharp as it is? And your memory is better than mine ever was. But I'll never know. I mean, I love, you know, because I do all these speaking engagements, I when people say to me, you know, we really would love to have somebody speak about whatever it is. I love having new topics. And when I was teaching every week in a class where we had 200 senior citizens in my classes every Tuesday afternoon for 10 years. So every year I had to come up with six or eight weeks of different different subjects which got me into all different areas. I actually got a phone call from somebody who was running something like a short course. It was called the Learning Annex. And the woman said to me, Joyce, you know, you've always been very successful in this topic or that. But I went to a a, a private, people who run these private schools, not through adult ed in a high school or in a college. And she said, one of the most popular topics is how to deal with difficult people. 
do you think you could give a talk on that? I said, yeah, of course. And I was married to Kopi at the time. And he, I'm very like this, you know, and Kopi was What's very like this? like this, very kind and loving. And no, but you're, you're uh, very what you did with your hands. What is very, like this? Uh, very up. I'm, oh, I'm sorry. Yes. I'm very upbeat. I tend to function in nines and tens and the rest of the world mostly functions on fives and sixes. And sometimes I shake them to try to get a seven or eight, but that doesn't always work. <laughs> but Kobe was very even. And I said to him, you know, we should give this workshop together because I will do the research and you and I can show different ways that people can get along with other kinds of people. And we really, we did a great job because I talked about how to deal with aggressive people. And he was able, as a passive aggressive man, he was able to tell, to tell the, the group that we were teaching what he did as a passive aggressive person and what the response was from his passive aggressive secretary. Right? So, I mean, there are, but I love having new topics to research. So this has been a lot of fun, you know, for me. By the way, I, I do feel duty bound to tell one joke since we're talking about seniors. Oh, you're going to have to give us your recent joke. I, you know, yes, I well, I will, I'll give you one right now at this point for what is it that keeps people going, you know, when, when they're a little older. And this is about a couple in an assisted living place. And they just clicked right away. They just hit it off so marvelously. And they have dinner together every day and they go to the movies together there and they go to all the lectures together there. And after week after week and month after month of this, finally, the guy, 85 years old, says to her, how would you like to come up to my bedroom, which, of course, is the apartment in these places after dinner tonight? And she says, sure, I'd love to. So they go up to his apartment. He shuts off the lights. He closes the shades. He pulls the drapes. They get undressed, they slide into bed, and they have the most incredibly wild, passionate sex that either of them has ever had in their younger years. And when they are all finished, he looks at her lovingly and he says, my God, he said, this is the most incredible sex I've ever had in my entire life. But I wish you had told me that you were still a virgin. And she looks at him and says to him, look, I wish you had told me that you could still get an erection and I would have taken off my pantyhose. Oh, no. <laughs> the first time oh, no. I heard that joke, I was hysterical. <laughs> that is really a good apropos joke to the fact that what's the act and what's the intention. And I right. love that. That is Perfect, perfect. So all these years of observing people and being a therapist and a special ed teacher and professor and really having so many people you've interacted with, if you had to help people age gracefully and and really accept their becoming their their authentic best selves in a relationship, without a relationship, whether they should leave a relationship, there's no one decision ever. It's not exact ever black and white. And yet, what is it that that is so that you you wish more people knew. You wish more people could could operate from that place. And yeah. Okay. To start with, I wish more people recognized that you cannot live your life trying not to die. You know, I, I have seen what has gone on during COVID, and I have friends 
who didn't leave their houses. I would stand at the end of a driveway to talk to a friend. They still won't go into a theater for live theater. They won't go inside a house or a restaurant. I, there, is, there has got to be a limit. And I'm often reminded of uh, an 87-year-old person who I quoted because she had been a Holocaust survivor. And she said, you know, she said, I lost my childhood and I didn't have teenage years because of the Holocaust. She said, and now I've lost an entire year because of COVID. Who knows how much longer I have? And the fact is, none of us knows how much longer we have. We did not come with a contract. So to my mind, if you like dessert, for God's sake, go have dessert. When I am with somebody who gives up these magnificent desserts in some of the restaurants that we've been in, I inevitably will say to the person, you know, you're going to die anyway. You can't for not have the things that bring you joy. I, you know, there's always the joke about imagine those poor people on the Titanic who gave up dessert, you know, but I, I'm often reminded of when you are on your deathbed, not one person is going to say, if only I had had one more chicken breast, right? <laughs> we have to do the things every day that bring us joy. And if it is eating chocolate, then so be it. If it is being with friends, so be it. For me, it's being with friends and eating chocolate. This is positively perfect. <laughs> and, you know, as a great lover growing up in Brooklyn, as I did, I love Fox's You Bet Chocolate Syrup. And I keep thinking the way I would like to go is to be spread over with Fox's You Bet Chocolate Syrup with Eddie and sleep, you know, go to sleep permanently in the middle of sex. I think that's got to be the perfect one. That's like so I think if we would take sliding. ourselves a little less seriously, we would all have happier lives and we would be less horrifying to our friends. You know, for so many years, I, since 1983, when I gave my first talk about the therapeutic value of laughter, I always gave as a piece of advice is to avoid energy suckers. And when you get older, it is harder and harder to do that because people seem to think the only thing that there is to talk about over lunch is what doctor you went to, what was the, the prep like for a colonoscopy. My God, there's got to be something else to talk about than COVID or even, God forbid, what's going on right now in Ukraine. I understand we have got to pay attention. We've got to do what we can. I give money. I send money constantly to try to solve some of these problems. But that can't be all you think about. It can't be all you talk about all day. You have to talk about the beauty that is out there every minute of our lives. And by filling ourselves up with the rest of this stuff, sometimes we're forgetting to look at the sun rising. Absolutely. You were my first inspirational speaker. So I remember going to your healing um, education laughter play your help institute at Southern Connecticut and feeling like the 10 things I think you even spoke about it, even in your laughter course about about making a list of the things that are the smallest things that bring you joy and and that news in the morning is not usually going to be one of them or going to sleep with it. I mean, we need to we need to keep awareness and I do it on a weekend. I, I, I read the week, which kind of takes all these different news sources and puts them together. And during my week, I don't want that negative energy to filter into my into my daily life. And the choices that we make that I remember you talking about and, and the way you, the way we choose a, and maybe get into a new habit of instead of feeling sorry for ourselves, knowing how to lift ourselves with, I mean, it, it doesn't have to be just food or ice cream, 
But for me, it's walking and exercise or dancing and, and also calling a friend and, and the little things or, or enjoying the smell of our, of doing a wash and putting a new sheets on the bed and then mushing my body into them. Like it is the little things that give us the joy. And sometimes we don't spend the time integrating that as a practice. Well, I'm glad you mentioned calling a friend every morning. And again, Eddie doesn't get up for, you know, until eight o'clock. At seven o'clock every morning, I call my friend Connie. And Connie, I will say, good morning, sunshine. She says, good morning, gifted, awesome woman. We always start off with some kind of affirmation of each other. And we just share what good thing we're going to be doing over the course of the day. The conversation doesn't take more than five minutes. And it's a way to start the day with somebody positive. I used to say, really, when I had a list of what I was looking for in a man, the top thing on my list was someone who wakes up happy. And it is really important to me to start the day with joy, to start off with somebody who you feel connected to and who shares joy with you. And if you can have a partner or more than one partner, some could be friends, some could be however you want to work it out. But if you can have a partner who shares joy with you, that has to be the greatest gift in the world. And in the olden days, most of us had in my case, I had a very close sister and brother and sister-in-law who I loved speaking to regularly. I had two very up parents, and they are all gone. So I have had to replace them with a family that I have built on my own of really good friends. And I think that should be everybody's first job is to find somebody who's a really good friend who will uplift you no matter what else is going on in the world. And I think, by the way, just for the record, What's going on in the world right now, I said I keep sending money, and I do. I've been sending large sums of money to try to help with what's going on in Ukraine. There are some things that we can do to help, but the fact of the matter is we do not have control over the diseases in the world or the wars in the world. We don't have direct control. We can do what we can to help. However, in our relationships, we do have control over who we spend our time with and spend our energy with and, and gift and visit with and that is the most wonderful gift that God gave us, is our ability to make and keep friends close by. So wisely and beautifully said. And, and so on the, on, on the humorous part of that relationship, for some reason, I, got, I, I had a quick flashback to you saying, well, God's gift to us getting old is that we don't necessarily have to see each other as you get, even if, the, even if your partner's not the best looking. I remember you talking about, about, about waking up. I mean, sometimes it's not always the best view, right? <laughs> doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to My be. My partner happens to be adorable. And, you know, people always say how women decay overnight. If you don't wear a lot of makeup, you don't decay overnight. And, you know, they don't see so well. That's the good thing. And the older you get, the less well you see. Right. So you are looking much better than you did, you know, like a year ago. Also, I don't see the hair that's coming in on my legs. I, and I, I pray nobody else could see it. So that's all good, too. Uh, by the way, after when you get a little older, you don't get so much hair growing places. Well, so good. that's I'm looking forward thing. to that. It is getting better. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you need another joke? Sure. We could do another joke and any other last wise words that you want to end with. Okay. I will give you another joke, which happens to be my favorite joke that I always say for the end of my humorous look at sex and aging, because I love it. 
the young lady loses her grandfather and she's terribly saddened and goes to visit grandma and says, Grandma, I'm so sorry that grandpa died. And you know how much I loved him. And grandma says, well, sweetheart, you know, you were his favorite grandchild. And then the granddaughter says, well, grandma, how did grandpa die? Well, she says, to tell you the truth, sweetheart, he died having a heart attack last Sunday while we were making love. And the granddaughter looks at grandma. Grandpa was 95 years old. You're 91. No wonder he had a heart attack. No, grandma says, you don't understand, sweetheart. We made love every Sunday because we discovered that the rhythm of the church bells was exactly right. He would go in on the ding, out on the dong, in on the ding, out on the dong. And he'd be alive today if it weren't for that damn ice cream truck. <laughs> this is great. What a great way to, for us to say goodbye to my wonderful and dear friend and mentor in so many ways, so many ways of making this world a better place, Joyce Saltman. So thank you so much for your time today, Joyce. I, I love you dearly. I love you too. And thank you so much for including me in things that enlighten the world in many ways. Enlightenment has the word light in it because that is our job. Our missional responsibility in this world is to help lighten the world. Amen. Before we summarize this week's episode, here is a preview of our next week's episode with artist Tom Radka. I actually thought about checking out of this world. But now I read an article maybe 30 years ago how an artist produces their best work between 60 and 80. So now I'm 70. I got 10 more years to go, according to that person. And it's just, I do feel I'm producing my best. What a great interview. Great job, Tessa. What a great interview, Tessa. Always, always, you do such a great job with those interviews. And Joyce is such a great friend and such a great mentor to you, isn't she? She's taught more things than what come across in that interview, as you can probably imagine. She actually gives so much of her, all of her earnings from all of her speaking engagements for all the years I've known her to different charities. And so her generous heart has been a great example to both of us. And I feel like I've learned to just really lighten people and use our own authentic gifts to make our way in the world. And that's what she teaches many people to do. Yeah, I mean, she has a perspective and wisdom that is uh, kind of mixed with a sense of humor. We, I mean, she, she, she is a real stand-up comic. She really does an incredible job with that kind of stuff. And I had a lot of fun, and I laughed a lot with her new jokes. Those are all new jokes, by the way. Yeah. Uh, she actually walked the walk and talked the talk. She has that, she says that she's old-fashioned, but she's not really old-fashioned. She's pretty progressive. Oh, we, we've been, she certainly is progressive and non-judgmental in, in, in many ways. I mean, she has her strong opinions, and we always know how to kind of just laugh it off with each other as well. And yet, her, her comic sense, her comic rhythm, you know, she's been wanting to do people here that come to our home want her to do comedy lessons and humor lessons and how to tell a joke. And we still have to have her do that one day. 
And another thing that she can come back and do for one of our interviews is she told me when we got off that one of the names of her other talks that she does is actually called Head Lice, How to Avoid Nitpicking Our Adult Kids. So (laughs) we will definitely have her back on the Open Nesters podcast. Oh, my goodness. I mean, just thinking about the... uh the husband equivalent of the H-E uh, that is not really her husband. But but listen, she has some pretty, pretty good uh, rituals. And, you know, if a lot of our open nesters will really adopt some of those rituals, you know, we may see a lot more relationship lasting longer. Absolutely. And and she does happy grams, which is a, she's like a blogger before blogging was even a bl- was even blogging. So we're the idea of being innovative and continuing to create and grow and laugh. And I hope that all of you enjoyed this interview as much as we enjoy and thank Joyce. Yeah. So if you enjoy that interview, please leave us a comment on our website. Yeah, we love to hear from you. That is the open nesters double N in the middle. S at the end, theopennesters.com. Love to hear from you. Love to know what you're thinking. If you know of anyone that has some value to share with our listener, we would like to, to hear from you. And of course, of course, I want to thank all of our listeners that got us to where we are today with this uh, wonderful episode and this wonderful podcast. And we'd love your input if you want to get to our closed group, our Facebook group, and have a discussion about your open nesting stage, because we do appreciate people's in, in just their openness to listen and the fact that you're out there listening and learning. And we would love you to become more of our community members and help build our community. Tell people about the podcast and get on our social media, Instagram and our business Facebook page and join us here on The Open Nesters. Absolutely. So till next time, this is Amir. And this is Tessa. And we will see you on the next episode. Ciao. You have been listening to The Open Nesters Podcast, a production of Kiwi Publishing and Media. Executive producer, Tessa Crone. Music by Yoni Avi Patat. Audio engineering by Lucid Sound. Web design and blogs, PJ Ewing. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms. To learn more about each episode and guest, please visit us at theopennesters.com. For questions or to be a guest on our podcast, email tessa at theopennesters.com.